The Florida Gators lose in heartbreaking fashion up in Columbia this past Saturday. Today, we'll recap the game and preview what the Gators have to do to flip the script and find a way to make a bowl game. This is the In All Kinds Weather Forecast. Welcome in to another episode of the In All Kinds Weather Forecast. I am your host, Chris Yanes, alongside my co-host today, Neil Shulman. And we are here in the heart of Gator Nation. Today is November 19th, 2023. Headed into Florida State Weekend and Thanksgiving Weekend. But before we get to those festivities, we're going to recap Missouri today. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it, guys. That's a heartbreaking loss, maybe the most heartbreaking loss yet this season. Arkansas was tough, but this one probably topped it. The Gators fall 33-31 to on a last-second Harrison Mevis field goal after the Gators were within seconds of winning the game and clinching bowl eligibility for the second time in three weeks. The Gators fought very hard in this game. There was never a moment where they were really out of it. Even when they went down nine in the fourth quarter, they still found a way to actually take the lead with a little over a minute to go. But now the Gators have one game left on the schedule, which we'll preview later this week. The Florida State Seminoles, who are number four in the country. But the Gators almost walked away Saturday with a victory over a top 10 team on the road. But the road woes continue. Florida now has three consecutive losses and they are looking at potentially another one, four consecutive losses, I beg your pardon. And they are looking at a fifth one next Saturday. So Neil, it's not great. And I know the, the tenor of the show probably won't be completely positive. I do think we should give a lot of praise to these guys for fighting, considering everything that's been going on this season, the injuries now that are starting to mount up, but it, it still doesn't take this thing away. There are no moral victories in the SEC and in college football. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for better and for worse on both the positive and negative side, I don't think we learned anything new against Missouri for the most part. Maybe a couple of small things here and there, but I mean, look, we knew our defense was pitiful. We knew our offense would move the ball. We knew that because we'd heard all the reports from spring practice and summer ball before, if given the chance, if he was thrown into the game, Max Brown did present a different dynamic. He can run the ball better than Graham Mertz can. Um, we knew the offensive line was a liability. And sure enough, it actually, I don't think was terrible in terms of blocking, but I, I mean, just, just a lot of self-inflicted wounds with pre-snap penalties. Um, I mean, you have a false start and delay a game back to back just to highlight a game in which we have nine penalties. Maybe we learned that Max Brown is a little bit better as a thrower than we might have thought. Um, obviously, we would not have predicted that Mertz would get hurt the way he did. Um, shout out, by the way, to Trevez Johnson. That may be one of the biggest contributions he's made to Florida um, in his college career. Um, but, I mean, again, like everywhere you look, everything we saw – was something we could have predicted. Like Princely, we know he's talented. We know he can do good things. We saw him set the edge very nicely on one play and make a big play. Great. Like that, seriously, not sarcastic. That was a very nice play that he made. Watch the game tape. More snaps than not. When his, when his job was to set the edge, he did not do it. We have seen that happen game after game all year long. And we can go player by player and do that with them. Um, but it's not one guy. It's the it's almost every single one on the defense. You know, Jason Marshall at corner again. Not saying it's all bad. Not saying every single snap he loses his rep or he doesn't care or he doesn't do his job. It's just more than you'd expect from a five star signee. Jalen Kimber. You know, I, I think the kid tries. I think he's doing the best he can. Don't want to make it seem like he isn't trying or doesn't care. But he. The, the ball is deflected. It's bobbled in the air. He could have made that pick. He didn't do it. Um, Jaden Hill and the, the ball that was deflected, that was first caught for a touchdown, but then the replay showed it hit the ground. It could have been picked off. Uh, I know Jaden personally. I, I love the guy. He's a good dude. He's always very kind and respectful to the fans. And that means a lot. It's, it's great to always see him show love to our Gator good foundation recipients. He's done that since 2019. So he's essentially an OG with, 
with that. Didn't make the play. Keep it respectful, but keep it real. SEC defensive back, you really want to see him make that play. And if he does, Florida might win the game. Um, and and you go again every single play. It's the same theme. You, you could have predicted it from watching the previous ten games. Theo Weiss, the long touchdown, the catch and run, um, right after the Max Brown fumble. Not hating on Jordan Castell, by the way. He's a freshman who's put some very good game tape out there earlier in the year, taking more of his lumps more recently. But he's put in a terrible spot there. He's an 18-year-old kid. That's going to happen. But he's put in a spot of, do I stay with the receiver or do I go after the rolling out quarterback? The reality was he had help from Kelby Collins, who'd won his rep and was coming in, was closing in on Brady Cook. He should have stayed with Weiss. He should have not abandoned Weiss and gone after the quarterback because the second he hesitated and backed off the receiver wide open. And then with just one block, Weiss went the whole way down the sideline for a touchdown. Again, young kid, going to learn, talented. I see promise there. Bad move there. Cost Florida, big touchdown. Uh, that might have, I mean, just contributed as one of the factors that cost Florida the game. So I will say, I would not have predicted it would have come to a fourth and 17. Um, I did like what I saw from the defense to force that fourth and 17. But I will also say to lose a game on fourth and 17 by allowing their best receiver and Luther Burden to just sit there in a seam and make the play. That's classic. That is classic 2020s decade Florida defense. Todd Grantham is beaming with pride somewhere. You have the single worst performance in school history last week, and you follow that up with maybe not, no, not the worst defensive play in school history. Run Lindsay run is always going to have that distinction, but maybe one of the top 10 worst, most embarrassing plays in school history on defense. I mean, it has to be, I would wager it's one of the top 25 worst defensive plays in school history. So at this point, it's not even being overly negative or pessimistic. It's just me going, you know, okay, this is the game tape that this team has put out there so far. These are the statistics they've put out so far. Let's use the recent relevant past to predict the future. What do you objectively and truthfully believe is going to happen? Exactly what happened. Florida fought. Because we knew that the offense would put up points and move the ball. And I do appreciate that. And it's not lost on me. I'm not ignoring that. But bottom line, we lost the game. And we're five and six because our defense found a way to lose. Good teams find ways to win games. Bad teams find ways to lose games. Florida had the game all but one. But they managed to invent a new way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Because they're a bad team. They fight. There's not no positives here. It's not everything about this team is terrible and awful and screw everything and the sky is falling. But pound for pound, it's a bad football team. And they pretty much cemented that legacy on Saturday night. Yeah, and I think this team may just very well be what it is. Look, let's think back to before the season. Florida was projected to finish fifth in the SEC East. They're going to finish fifth in the SEC East. Their over under Vegas total was five and a half. They're sitting right there going into the final week of the season. This team has met media expectations of what they would be. And certainly we tried. And, and I think there was a lot of hope after we hit five and two that Florida was going to be able to exceed that total, finish with a winning record in SEC play. And, and look, Neil, the reality is Florida at this point in November is a missed field goal and a fourth and 17 away from being seven and four. And yes, they could very well have lost the South Carolina game. Bad tip for Eugene Wilson. It's picked off in Florida's four and seven right now. But Florida has put themselves in positions to win games this month where they could have a seven and four record right now going into a Florida State game now where they're not going to be facing their star quarterback. So Florida has done things, though, throughout the year, like you mentioned, where they just simply aren't making the play when they need to make the play, whether that's getting a big game changing turnover, whether that's executing a simple handoff on in near the red zone at the end of a game, whether that's making a field goal, whether that's not having enough men on the, too many men on the field or not enough men on the field for special teams or critical procedural. How many procedural penalties do we have last night in, in parts where we were had second and mid or second and short or third and short and ends up becoming third and long second and long puts us behind the chains. And a lot of those happened after drives where Florida 
got a stop on defense and didn't follow it up with a touchdown or a score on offense. There were four moments where that happened in this game. And I said, the key to the game was going to be Florida was going to need to get three stops on defense and score a touchdown on the ensuing possession. Oh, for four. They only needed one to actually win the game. Hell, they only needed a field goal once to win this game. It's frustrating. They just, they haven't been able to make the plays when they've needed to make them this season. And that is why they're sitting right now where they are in this situation at hand is that they may not make a bowl game because of their ineptitude to be able to make the big play. And I don't know if that's the fact that there's a lot of youth on this team. I don't know if it's that there's not enough talent on this team. I don't know if it's coaching or maybe it's just a combination of all three. Who knows? We will not know really probably until next season when this team is a year older, we have another additional recruiting class, which right now is tracking between anywhere of a top five to a top 10 class. And we return some of the staff most likely for next season. We'll find most out of the players and, but, but most of the players, I mean, if you look at right, the scholarship chart right now, according to two, four, seven, Florida only has five guys that have to move on of their eligibility in college this season. And only one of those players is actually a major contributor. And that's Ricky Pearsall. So Florida next season is going to be returning the majority of its production. They're going to be another year older, but what can they do to take the next step? Because five and six, at this point next year, is going to be unacceptable. It will get this staff fired, most likely. They're going to have to be going into the FSU game, I would think, 8-3 and three next year at this point, maybe 7-4 at worst against a tougher schedule. So they're going to have to make strides in order to take the next step, and they're going to have to learn to make the big play when it's needed. They've done it really, Neil, one time this season, and that was against South Carolina. They converted the fourth downs. They got a lucky, obviously, on the tip play one time. They haven't done it in a lot of the other close games this year when they've needed to make the plays. Well, there you go. So you have you have three inflection games, right? Where Which we kind of talked about going in. When we previewed the schedule, didn't we say South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri uh, were going to be the big ones? And then Arkansas became one of those inflection games. We weren't yeah. so sure about that at the time. But, but here, all right. Here we are. I mean, the bigger point here is you have three games – where it comes down to one play. The team can either find a way to win or find a way to lose. Well, majority wins. The majority of the time, two out of three. I know it's a fairly small sample, but you know what? In college football, where you only have 12 games, you're defined by that, by those few the plays. Your schedule or quarter your schedule. Yeah, right I mean, and, and, and again, in fair or unfair, you are defined by how you play when the game is on the line and whether you find ways to win or whether you find ways to lose. It is probably, I will even go to the lanes of saying, I think it is unfair that it's such a small sample size and such a small margin within that small sample size. But the one play, if you do nothing, but you remove the either of the special teams F-ups against Arkansas, Florida wins that game. They're six and five right now, and we're probably still pissed or or deflated or you can say beaten into submission or whatever. We're still feeling those those same things after the Missouri loss. But we're saying, you know what? We did we did hit the over on our five and a half win total. We did make it to a bowl game. It's not going to go down in history as a complete and utter failure. There were a lot of failures throughout the season. But the season itself is not a complete wash. It's not a complete failure because we did win two of those three games that we could have either won or lost. Nope, we didn't. We lost two of those three. And I mean, again, the, the way we lost those two games against Missouri and Arkansas were Florida beating Florida, not the other team beating Florida. Florida was the one that beat Florida because of dropping the snap on the extra point against Arkansas, the special teams unit running onto the field when they were offensive trying to clock it. Special teams lost the game against Utah, handing them a free first down by not realizing you can't have two guys with the same jersey number on the field at the same time, giving them a free first down. They would score a touchdown right after that. Special teams lost us that game too. So 14 score, point swing in one play. That's right. So, I mean, the, the, the final play. score was 24 to 11. People may not think that that was a, a, a coin flip type of game, but if you go back and look at it, you can say, well, that, that play, that sequence turned the game from a coin flip proposition into one that Utah wound up winning by double digits. So again, all goes back to what I said at the start. Good teams find ways to win games. 
bad teams find ways to lose games. Florida this year is a bad team. We And we've seen it go the other way. Like 2019, like for, for those of you who want to accuse me of being overly negative, like 2019, Florida found ways to win games. Like they probably should not have beaten Miami in Orlando. They found a way to win that game. They probably should not have beaten South Carolina. The way that game was going, maybe you could have said that there was a, a flag that should have been thrown on a hold on Damian Pierce's long touchdown run. Well, it didn't get called and maybe that was not right. But again, Florida found ways to come from bad situations and turn them into wins. Auburn. Ugly game. Florida found a way to win. Michael P. Ryan breaking a tackle, going 88 yards for a touchdown. Florida won that game. So, and Virginia, Orange Bowl. Florida did not play well in that game either. Found a way to win. So there you go with another example of four games. Yeah. And, you know, they lost to an an all-time great team in LSU and a team that maybe wasn't that level, but still very talented in Georgia. So you can't get too angry about that. But there's another situation where, all right, six inflection point games, Florida two out of three they're batting two out of three with winning versus losing those close games do you win or do you lose because of one or two plays types of games so we saw it work out in florida's favor that year this year is the opposite florida is actively finding ways to lose games that they should be winning yep and we'll i'm sure talk a lot about how we're going to overcome that in the next year how we can avoid those situations again where we win because look you look at the schedule next year there's probably gonna be a lot of inflection point games given who we're going to be playing week in and week out we haven't seen the schedule in its order yet but we're starting to piece it together and florida's going to have similar situations next year the question is will they be able to overcome the adversity and make those plays to win them you got a quick quoting must champ man well you know what you that, that, that quote is going to live on from infamy hidden you know what in that game florida did overcome the adversity on the field by the way we won 44 11 against south carolina so let's not forget that one that's a that, well that'll be a classic and i'll never forget that so and he's right you always got to come to adversity on the field and good teams do that let's let's quickly again talking about this game though a little bit more before we get i think into the stat the stats and the the numbers neil we got to talk about our quarterback. Shout out to Graham Mertz for putting his body on the line Saturday. He has been the heart and soul of this offense and this team, a true leader. A year ago, almost a year ago, 11 months ago, when Graham Mertz made his visit, a lot of Gator fans were not happy about it. They thought that he was going to be a disaster in Gainesville. He was going to be the reason why Florida didn't make a bowl game. A lot of people peg Florida as one of the worst teams in the power rankings. They even power ranked our quarterback room as the worst because of him. He has been anything but that. He is now he threw for over 2,900 yards, 20 touchdowns, three interceptions, a 67% completion rate, one of the best in school history. He broke Tim Tebow's record for consecutive pass attempts without an interception, probably a record that's going to hold up for a long time. He played as he played his his guts out last night and on that third down play where he looked like he was about to get beat and not get the first down with bulldozed went through two tacklers and then uh was able to actually gain even more yardage after the first down and a play later i think the adrenaline finally wore, wore off and he realized what had just happened left the game it is confirmed it is a a collarbone injury a fractured collarbone where he will miss the remainder of this season. It will be a several months recovery for him if he does indeed decide to come back to Gainesville. And certainly I think Gator fans would welcome that. He would be a, uh, I guess, a sixth-year senior next year if he were to return to school at Florida. I, I do, you know, a lot, I think a lot of people believe he will, but that remains to be seen. We don't want to, you know, put words in his mouth or speculate, but if he does, he will be the starter next season. He will get to mentor incoming freshman DJ Lagway, which will be a fantastic way to pass the torch from 24 to 25. But what he's meant for this team this year is something that a lot of Gator fans aren't going to forget. And I think that it would be really remiss of us not to recognize he his efforts this season, what he's given to the University of Florida, to the Gator football program. He is a Gator legend. He's a Gator legend in my mind. He may never win a championship at Florida, but he's going to go down as one of the better quarterbacks at Florida, just on a team that just couldn't get the job done on the defensive side of the ball. He is going to go down in history. I think 
very much in the same vein that Kyle Trask is going to go down minus minus two factors. Obviously one, he doesn't have generational talent like a Kyle Pitts. Uh, I mean, he's got very good help like Ricky Pearsall and and ETN um, and Eugene Wilson are, are very good players, but I mean, they're not Kyle Pitts. They're not Kadarius Tony, even for that matter. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Number two is he didn't have to come in in a terrible situation after the starter broke his leg, like with Philippe by Franks, he was just a starter from the get-go. And I think, I mean, a different kind of adversity, maybe people didn't expect him to succeed from the start just because they didn't think he was that good versus Kyle Trask. I think a lot of people thought he was just thrown into a terrible spot and he couldn't possibly succeed because he was thrown to the wolves right in their den. But I mean, similar type of quarterback, similar guts, similar, you know, toughness, and just a a way that they make plays. They just make things happen. Um, I mean, it may be not, not even always the prettiest, I don't know that he is necessarily the best deep ball quarterback that Florida could have had this year, but you know what? Florida moves the football with him at the controls. He makes good decisions. He gets the ball to the playmakers. He's accurate with those swing passes for the most part, Um, you know, putting them, putting the ball right where it needs to be so that it leads the receivers that they're catching it in stride. They don't have to slow up for it. They don't have to die for it. They can just keep running without even slightly breaking their stride and just keep moving on down the field like that so i mean that's that's kind of an underrated skill for quarterbacks nowadays because it's either you know you have the ball uh or you have the arm strength to throw the ball 75 yards and or throw it right through a brick wall or you can just truck everyone like you know cam newton or tim tebow could um but it's not really that talked about that merch can make a lot of the plays with consistency that when you have a Eugene Wilson, when you have a Trevor Etienne, when you have a Ricky Pearsall, that's all you need to do. You don't need to be the Heisman Trophy finalist. You just need to be the guy that lets your teammates do their jobs. He's going to go down in history as that guy. Yeah, he put us in positions to win games. Like If you look at it, Florida did struggle getting off on offense this season, obviously only scoring 11 up in Salt Lake City. You know, 49 yes against an FCS point, but we only scored 29 against Tennessee, 22 against Charlotte, 14 against Kentucky. And from that point on, Florida has scored over 30 points in every single outing but Georgia, 38 at Vandy, 41 South Carolina, 39 Arkansas, 35 LSU, and 31 against Missouri. Those are solid offensive output numbers for scoring, and a lot of it is attributed to him being able to move the ball and get it to his playmakers, Pearsall, Wilson, ETN, Johnson, boarding him even for that matter. And he's done it with an offensive line that, but even before the injuries occurred, was not holding up their end for him in protection. And I'm honestly shocked that he's made it 11 games without having to miss a game because he was getting absolutely demolished back there for some games, especially the South Carolina game. In, in the Georgia game too, sacked, I think four or five times in that game, he was getting pressured and he held up against this offensive line, was able to get to the ball, get his, the ball to the playmakers that needed to make plays and put Florida in positions. It's just unfortunate. The defense has taken the opposite. The defense was playing great. They were a top five defense at the beginning of this season. And the offense was not doing that, doing well. And then it flipped right around the Vanderbilt game or after the Vanderbilt game. And then when we played South Carolina, since then, the defense has has just played awful. They've given up at least 30 points in every game since that point. And that's why Florida's sitting where they are. If they had just played a little bit better, they would have won probably two or three more games on the schedule in that span. And that's Chris, a take shame. a quick guess. How many since Georgia? I just before I forget, what do you think the, the numbers are for Florida's defense yards per game allowed since the Georgia game? It's got to be over 500. Oh, it's well over 500. Like 550? Not quite. 528 and a half. That's that's awful. That is historically awful. Again, they gave, they, and again, we can't point that enough times, weeks, too. 1,200 yards in the last two weeks. 1,210 yards in the last two weeks. And let's not forget this, too. Again, going to keep pointing this out. The new clock rules in college football mean you get at least two or three fewer possessions per game, depending on how quick the offense moves. So that would be bad last year. Where t- or you know with, with the clock rules that were in place before this year, where teams would get those extra possessions, where the clock would stop after first downs, out of you know when players run out of bounds, when you would get more possessions with the football per game, that would be terrible 
with those old clock rules. Now it's just, I mean, if you don't, I don't, I don't know how to intellectually honestly discuss this defense without just saying words like terrible or pathetic or pitiful, because again, you're the product of the sum of your game tape and your statistics. Yeah, it's true. And unfortunately the defense has taken away what could be a really great season for Graham Mertz, but we do wanted to shout him out and thank him for everything he's done this year. And obviously we would love to have him back next year leading this team. And, and look, I mean, look, look at the jump. I mean, it's, it's a similar arc to what happened with, you know, like Joe Burrow had a really solid season coming from Ohio State to LSU, made a huge jump in that second year. You look at a guy like Bo Nix this year, solid season last year for Oregon. He's the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman next year. But even look at a guy like Kyle Trask, played really solid off the bench after the injury to Felipe Franks the following year, had a Heisman finalist season. And I'm not saying that Graham Mertz is going to be Heisman finalist year. Don't, 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 don't mix that up we i have no idea but that if he staying in the system one more year because let I me mean, let's be honest i think we'll talk about this more with napier and his offensive scheme the scheme is going to stay relatively the same more than likely as far as the playbook the concepts the execution of it might change the play calling might change the personnel usage might change with a new offensive coordinator a new play caller but by and large it's going to be the same thing that grammar is used to now for a whole year and he's going to have the entire offseason to work with the the receivers that are currently on the roster, Trey Wilson, Boardingham. You got guys like Mizell, Andy Jean that hopefully step up next year. Maybe we pull a guy out of the portal to replace Ricky. ETN in the backfield with Johnson as well. The, 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 the core of this offense is going to be returning with him, and he could make a huge jump next year. Where Florida right now, they're averaging right around 30 points a game. If they start averaging, let's say, 35 points a game, and the defense can improve marginally, that's when you have the difference of five and six to seven, eight wins right now. And it's a shame. I said going into the season, if Florida just had an average defense somewhere in the 60s to 70s, they probably would be just fine this season. They would make a bowl game. Right now, we're all the way down to 88th now in defense. And that's a shame that we've wasted once again Another good offensive talent, guys like Ricky Pearsall, who's 52 yards now short of 1,000 yards for the season. He should get that against Florida State. We'll see. But a shame that we're that that Graham uh, Graham's effort will go in vain last night because they they came very close to winning that game for him. But Graham, we wish you a speedy recovery. We thank you all that you've done for Gator Nation, and obviously we're rooting for you back next season. All right, well, we'll quickly just recap the game here, and then we'll get into a couple of key moments for it. So the Gators, obviously, they lose 33-31 to 31 on a Harrison Mebus field goal. The Gators and Missouri basically were even in offensive production. Missouri with 508 yards. Florida right on the dot of 500. Florida had one of their best rushing outputs of the season with 261 yards on the ground. They averaged 6.5 yards a rush, and this was actually a tag team effort between Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. Montreal Johnson had his best game of the season, I would say. 12 carries, 85 yards, 7.1 averaging on the ground per carry. Very good effort for him. Etienne, solid as always, averaging over five yards a carry, five and a half to be exact. Did it with 82 yards on the ground and a touchdown and added a touchdown, a receiving touchdown with, with a great catch when Merch was scrambling out and then went untouched to the end zone. Both guys played an incredible game. Pearsall, solid game, two catches, 72 yards. He had a touchdown on the ground on the reverse for 39 yards. That put Florida up 21-20 right out of halftime. Florida, the, the, the numbers offensively were solid. Now, of course, defensively, we all know that was not the case. Brady Cook, 20 of 34 for 331 yards, averaging nine, almost 10 yards of reception or a completion. He had a touchdown. He did not turn the ball over. Cody Schrader, 23 carries, 148 yards, and a touchdown. He actually had 123 of those yards 
at halftime. So Florida kind of, by and large, kept him in check in the second half. I think it was more of a shootout where Missouri was kind of forced to throw the ball down the field a little bit more. So that that's why the, the numbers did drop off for Schrader. But that is Schrader's fourth consecutive game of 100 yards or more. And I think one of the most impressive things about that stretch, he did it against the Georgia Bulldogs, one of the few running backs to do that in the Kirby Smart era and in the last few years. So he's a special talent for a guy that was playing division two ball and to transfer over to Missouri. Uh, if when they, if they do make a new year six bowl game, he will be pretty much one of the main reasons why Luther burden easily broke a thousand yards on the season, nine catches, 158 yards, almost coming up with an acrobatic catch that was called back. And thankfully was called back, especially after the play that was called back against the Gators the previous week. That was a very obvious uh, bobble and drop, but great game from him. And then of course, Theo Weiss, only caught the ball one time, but that's all he needed for the 77-yard touchdown run that put Missouri up by 30-21 to 21 before Florida was able to come back and get the game within one. And then, of course, that is where the infamous 4th and 17 happened, where Brady Cook completed the ball to Luther Burden. And it's it's kind of amazing. Florida was able to step back into that zone and just let him pick his spot and stand there and catch the ball. It, it is is truly unbelievable because up until that point, Florida, they have the fumble. Missouri scores the next play. They're up by nine. Florida goes down the field with a backup quarterback in Max Brown, who, by, by the way, played very good himself. He was four of five, 56 yards through the air. He added 42 yards on the ground. That's something that we're going to talk about in the FSU preview is the fact that Brown brings a new wrinkle to Billy Napier's offense where he's able to do more of those read option RPO concepts that Mertz does not do. So that's something Florida state is going to have to game plan against him for the next game. Whereas Mertz is more of that drawback passer, the kind of the play action fake complementing with the run game. So this is a new wrinkle that Max Brown brings. And he played very well though, took Florida down the field multiple times after coming in the game, was able to get the one touchdown that Montreal Johnson scored to put Florida within a few points Florida gets a stop on defense, and then they are able to get a field goal the next drive. Huge play there. You know, unfortunately, they. I think we'll talk about kind of in the coaching corner here in a second why Billy Napier chose to kick the field goal and not go for the touchdown to maybe could have won the game for the Gators right there. But the Gators offensively played great. Defensively, once again, Neil, the same story as we said as we go through the statistics and We'll go now into uh, – we'll, we'll dissect both moments here because we talked about multiple plays that Florida could have made. But there were some coaching moments here that Florida – also, the coaching staff could have helped this team out a little bit more. You had the moment before halftime where Florida was in a situation where they could have had a two-for-one. They didn't do – they did not execute it. They were getting ready to actually sit on the ball – and run the clock out. And if it weren't for Montreal Johnson's first down run to get it out toward midfield, that would have forced Florida to just knee it out. But they, they almost then got into field goal range for Trace Mack. It did not work out because of the grounding penalty to Graham Mertz. So there's that one. And then at the end of the game where Florida, you know, runs the ball down with Brown on a, a read option, we're down in toward the red zone. Missouri starts burning up timeouts, which is the right thing to do in that situation to preserve time for their offense. But then Napier decides to run three consecutive plays up the middle. No read options, no rollouts for Max Brown, nothing. No screen plays to Eugene Wilson or Ricky Pearsall, nothing to get your playmakers open in space to maybe make a play, miss a tackle, break it. Because if Florida gets, they don't even have to score a touchdown in that situation. If they get a first down, the game could end because you would then run the clock down to almost no time. It'd be the situation like the Eagles were in last year in the Super Bowl. There was no time left when they got the ball back after the penalty. Same thing here. Florida gets a first down. Game's over. Florida kicks that field goal, wins that game right there. But I think it, that's something that – Neil, let me ask you this. Are you critical of Napier in those two moments? One, almost sitting on the ball before halftime, and two – the play there at the end of the game where we don't go for the win with a touchdown or another first down to ice the game. Because the reality is we can go get a new play caller next year, but guess what? Billy Napier is still the head coach and he's the one making those decisions. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I am critical of Napier, but I can't be too mad because again, it, it just goes back to what I said at the first, you know, at the top of the show, 
the team is what it is. You you can't be surprised when the team does a bunch of things over and over and over and but over. But that's a coaching decision. But, but yeah, but he's going to make bad decisions. He's a bad in-game coach. We knew that. We knew that in his in the first game that he coached against Utah. We can go back all the way there where he pissed away the timeout for no reason um, after yeah, then, the fourth and three. We know, but it doesn't matter what it's going to be. It doesn't matter what the situation is. He's going to find a way to mess it up. As an okay, but that, that's then that's where I guess I want to take this this conversation. If we know that, and he hires an offensive coordinator next year, and let's say that offensive coordinator is actually a good play caller, then he has does, to be hands off and back off. But and then, but Napier job. is still making the decision mm-hmm. to go for to either not go for it or go for it at the end of a half. Or go for the win in, in when the game is on the line. There, and either you he can't be trusted to do that. He's got to let the offensive coordinator make that call. So you're going to let the offensive can't. coordinator decide in-game decisions, not the head coach. So Napier's just going to sit after, there with a the headset. Yeah, basically. I mean, after because again, we, do you honestly think it's going to happen though? <laughs> well, if Florida's going to succeed, that's the most likely course of action that's going to take place. Because again, we've seen Napier make the wrong decisions with his tactical decision making over and over and over again i don't know why you would expect him to make the right ones like you would you would have thought he would have learned after last year he didn't do it i I guess that's just my concern is that yes we'll have a play caller and maybe that'll limit those situations where you're even in that situation but we're still gonna have end of half situations where we could either decide to go for a score or not and that's falls on the head coach to make or at the end of a game when you either kick a field goal or, you know, try to run the clock out, go for the touchdown, whatever, that that's the head coach makes that decision. Offensive coordinator isn't going to make that. They're going to call different plays maybe, but so maybe, maybe that, maybe that, that situation changes, but still, I, I think, I guess that's my concern is that we have a head coach who's deciding to be ultra conservative when really you have nothing to lose other than the game. You're already five but he's not five. Okay, that's the thing I'll push back on. He's not deciding to be. It's who he is. He is ultra-conservative. He didn't just wake up one day and just and decide, yeah, I'm going to be ultra-conservative today. He, that's just what he is. It's who he is. It's what he does. Like, why, again, I, I don't know why you expect things to change in that respect next year. The hope I have for the future banks on Florida amassing enough talent that they can put games away before they get to these situations where he has to decide it one way or another, because I do think he's a great recruiter. And I do think that he's going to bring in an offensive coordinator who can help him be an even better recruiter who can recruit in his own aspects. But I mean, again, like if the, if it gets to a close game and it comes down to an, a coaching decision, I don't objectively know why you would trust him to make the right call. I, I don't know why you would. There's not any evidence to support thinking that. It doesn't that's, exist. That's a scary thought going into next year when he is going to be on the hot seat and he's going to need a win, multiple wins to get off of it and keep his tenure alive into year four. I, I just I'm concerned. I I really am because last night those are two situations where you you score a field goal before half, you you know decide to maybe get another first down, you win the game, and actually you erase the the those plays that we talked about that we didn't make. You limit the margin for error there because as a coach you have to realize too the team you have in that situation. I know that I have the ball. Missouri has one timeout. If I get a first down here, this game's over. And I don't have to put my defense, who time and time again has shown me that they cannot make a stop, they cannot make a play when the game's on the line. So I think for me, I'm just a little concerned that he felt that he could trust them in the situation or his game planning, his game and game decision-making implied that. That is the concern moving forward in for the rest of this season and into next. The staff. I don't know that I agree with the hire of William Piegler, for example, last year as a tight ends coach, I think aside from that, you can't really hate on any of his to sit well and special teams, obviously. And, and doing that, but that again, offensive that was, line coaches, right? So, <laughs> so I'm saying like the, the structuring of the staff there was bad, but I'm saying in terms of like his ability to recruit 
other coaches, not just athletes, but like recruiting Corey Raymond to come join him, you know, getting Jabbar Jaluk to come join him, um, who I think is a very underrated position coach, a very, very hot commodity in the coaching world. Um, you know, getting Kiri Colbert last year and then getting Billy Gonzalez this year, um, getting Mike Peterson on the staff. I think Spencer um, is a very good coach. I don't know how much of the defensive line struggles are really his fault when you have guys like Jack Pyburn and Tyreek Sapp injured and you have another bunch of true freshmen like Kelby Collins um, and TJ Searcy thrown in there. But again, I think that was a good, a good hire there. So I think for the most part, he's very good at, at amassing good people, uh, people who are good at their jobs to do those jobs. That means players and coaches. And that goes off the field too. Like, I'm very high on the job that Katie Turner does in her role. Bree Wade, I think she's good at what she does. Um, Savannah Bailey, I think she's good at what she does. You know, the, the nutrition staff. I think that that's all very good. But the way that Dan Mullen was bad at recruiting, the way Dan Mullen was was loyal to a fault, he was also an, an elite play caller. He was a good in-game coach for the most part he made some questionable decisions here and there I think that you know the lack of urgency he showed down two scores against Alabama in 2000 and uh or down down eight against Alabama in 2021 where you're throwing all your eggs in the two-point conversion basket and if you don't get it you're screwed and against Georgia in 2019 when you're down 24 10 and you take a lot of time off the clock for that first touchdown but I think the sum of his in-game coaching decisions were very good in terms of play calls. So Napier is the reverse. And I think maybe fans weren't expecting him to be this bad as an in-game coach, but we did hire him in in every other sense to be the anti-Dan Mullen. We knew he was very different than Dan Mullen in, in almost every aspect. And, well, we got that. We got a guy who is just not a good in-game coach, who makes very questionable decisions, both with his play calling, which for the most part, by the way, against Missouri, I thought was okay. He made a couple yeah. of questionable ones here and there, but the sum of his play calls were good, and you're, you're never going to bat a 1,000 as a play caller. So, again, I give him a, a perfectly fine grade as a pure play caller, but again, the in-game decisions, the fact that the team still can't line up and get the play in right. You have a false start and then a delay of game back to back in between two snaps. You have both those things happen. Like those are just things that I think are going to be staples of Billy Napier's tenure at Florida. And again, this, for those of you who are going to say in all kinds of weather, you're not living up your name. You're way too negative. I'm not saying Florida can't win under Napier. I'm not saying there's no path forward. I think if Napier does amass a lot of talent, if he hits home runs in the transfer portal, I mean, Cybos don't grow on trees, but if he has another home run hit on the offensive line, if he gets a few big time linebackers or defensive backs in the transfer portal, Florida can win a lot of games. And with the expanded college football playoff, you just have to get yourself into that top 12 and then who knows if you're in a game with a Georgia or an Alabama and you're in enough of those games, you could get the things to go your way and win them. So I'm not even saying Florida can't win national championships under Napier. I'm not saying it's likely my, my confidence and my faith in that has taken a big hit this year, but I'm not saying the sky is falling and Florida is screwed and Napier is not the guy and he's 100% going to get fired next year. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that, look, this is the hand that we're dealt with Billy Napier. He is a bad in-game tactical decision maker. How do we overcome that? How do we survive that? How do we compensate for that? And maybe even with the offensive coordinator, you express disbelief at this, but Maybe the question is, how do we mask it? How do we just get rid of that from the equation? Like, I mean, we'll we'll take Jeff Scott for as an example because I do think he is the offensive coordinator uh, prospect that is the most similar to Napier, and and this this could itself be a source of irritation for fans. Well, why are you hiring the guy that's the most similar to you? Don't you want someone different who can install a new look to the offense? Which, by the way, I agree, but Jeff Scott can recruit. Jeff Scott, I think, can run an offense fairly well. But the concern for me is, like, 
it's, it's, it's what you brought up. If Jeff Scott is calling the plays, but Napier is going to be the one yelling in his ear, saying, hey, 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 we're going for it on fourth down here when it's fourth and six. I mean, that's just not objectively not a good decision unless, you know, the game is literally on the line and you have no timeouts and there's 14 seconds left and you're down four. Sure. Aside from that, like he did against Kentucky, by the way, his first year, second game he's ever, he ever coached against Kentucky, fourth and six, you're down one score. You're at midfield. One of the few games your defense is, is actually playing well, by the way, Will Levis did nothing that game. Bad idea to go for it. He went for it. Cost Florida. I'm saying he is going to have to just let his offensive coordinator make the majority of the calls and maybe just maybe if he wears fewer hats, like if you take that hat away from him, maybe if he's able to focus on just those little things that much more, maybe he'll make the right decisions more. That's my hope moving forward. And that's what we've talked about is that if he is taking things off of his plate, then he'll be able to focus on other things that he is good at recruiting running the administrative aspects of a program, assembling maybe a better staff, filling it out in where the the voids or the weaknesses might currently exist. And you allow people to make in-game decisions, play calling, have somebody on the field running the special teams. It is going to help him and take a lot of stress off of his plate where he might perform better in other areas we need him to. I don't think he's ever going to change, you know, he his aspects of going forward on certain fourth downs or like he's going to do that. I, I, I think he will remain primarily a conservative coach, but I suppose the hope is that if you have a really a much better offensive coordinator and you have better playmakers on the offensive side of the ball, those instances are become a lot fewer and far between and you'll win a lot more games. I just hope that it just doesn't come back to bite us. Let's say even in we get to a point where we're actually playing for championships, you're going to play in probably closer games. And then what in those situations? That's sort of, I mean, that's that's kind of like the, the 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 more positive outlook on that arc. But in the in the interim where you're scrapping and trying to get by to get to a bowl game. It's just, it's killing us right now. And it's, it won't, it's like the jet going on the, the runway. It just won't get off the ground right now. And that's sort of where we are with Billy Napier and his tenure. And I think we, until that we get off the ground and it, we can actually start ascending and winning games, we're just, we're, we're, no, we're going nowhere. Don't put that thought in my head. Cause you know, I have to fly home tonight to my parents' house in New Jersey. You're gonna get off the ground. Don't worry. You you've got. It's Nick just that's Sab- just a very oddly specific reference. Just 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 pretend Nick Saban's the pilot. Okay. Okay, that, that's a good example. Or you know what? How about this? How about I pretend Kirby Smart is the pilot, who, by the way, drew a lot of heat early in his tenure for some of his in-game decisions. He did. He did. He People at Georgia still think that he should have already won three national championships. Where if he was playing. Jacob Eason over Jake Fromm after Eason had recovered from his his injury, um, Georgia could have won another national championship, and that Jake Fromm was the reason that they didn't win. Um, I don't know that it's really really fashionable to 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 hate on Kirby Smart these days. I think he's doing just he's doing fine. a great job. Yeah, but, and there was there was the knock that he could recruit, but he couldn't develop. Yep. Uh, you know, I mean, so, and all that's been alleviated. So it, it, there is a path, I guess. Right, that's, and, that, and that's what I'm saying. But that's what I'm saying. Cause I know, I know we're living everyone, in the moment right now. Well, but that's the other thing too. It's not the moment it's the season and it's the Billy Napier tenure, which by the way, is looking a second straight losing season square in the face this time, not even getting to a bowl game, which would be worse than last year. All we asked for, all I asked for all year was progress, progress, progress. I need to see signs that things are heading in the right direction. And instead, I'm being rewarded for my my patience this year with the worst defensive performance in school history and a fourth and 17 that probably tops anything we saw in that LSU game. And there was some bad game tape against LSU, but that fourth and 17 might top it all. But again, I'm not saying that it's all bad for Florida right now. I'm not saying the program is screwed. I'm not saying that the sky is just crumbling down on the program right now. It's not. There is a path forward. But in the context of this Missouri game and in the context of this season, the defense, the in-game decision-making by Billy Napier, the various special teams screw-ups, which seem to have been fixed, by the way, but – 
it shouldn't have taken that long to replace Mahalik with Trey Smack. You should never have had the double jersey penalty infraction. You should have never had 13 guys lining up for a field goal block on one play and then eight the next time to overcompensate for it. Like that really works. No, it's 11, no more, no less. You have all those things happen so that when you say, well, we didn't line up with 13 guys. Well, we didn't have a double jersey penalty infraction. You get to say, well, that's improvement because we went from having that to not having it. No, you should have never been there to begin with. You're, you're not like, like it, it's, it's an old psychology tactic that's called shaping. Like you take someone, you take, you take, you take a kid who is just absolutely terribly behaved, like the worst behavior you can imagine. Like he's just, he's throwing dishes at the wall. He's taking like loaded guns and just shooting them off the wall for fun. Like not, he's not a, like a criminal. He's just, just badly behaved needs to be reined in. So you take that and you go from him or, or you go to him, like just, I don't know, cursing and stomping his feet and like slamming his hat on the floor, which is still like, all right, he's a misbehaving child, but it's still technically better, right? Than him just firing glasses at the wall and at the ground, right? So you don't reward that behavior just because it is less terrible than where it started. So like the people who want to want to see me, uh, you know, more positive about the fact that Florida's special teams isn't committing you know horrifying mistakes every week and that the defense improved from giving up 701 yards to 508 you're not going to get it because that's still a terrible performance yes i know that there's a lot of young guys out there i'm not even saying again i'm not even saying that florida's defense is going to continue being this bad forever guys like kelby collins tj searcy um and Jakeem Jackson are going to grow. They're going to be a year older, a year better, a year stronger, a year smarter next year. And I think it's very possible that they learn from their in-game failures this year and use it to become better players next year. I think that is very possible. But that doesn't that doesn't mean it's okay to see us give up 1,210 yards in the span of two games. Like there's yep. the context of the future and the big picture which I think is is not all negative. And then there's the context of this game, this season, this team, and the Billy Napier era to date, which, Chris, keep it respectful, but keep it real, has been disappointing. Agreed. Yeah, I think we, we had a lot more hope, and we thought we'd be farther along at this point, point blank. We just did, and right now this is not cutting it. This is not good enough. And on the trajectory that he's on, he wouldn't last past year three. So we really hope that he makes the changes that we've talked about at nauseum. No need to rehash it. Everybody knows what they are. We'll talk about them as they occur over the next couple of weeks. But until then, it's disappointing. And the only way really I think to alleviate it is to maybe get an upset rivalry win over Florida State next Saturday, which we will talk about in the show later this week. But Neil, I think that is a pretty good encapsulation of the Missouri game. I think we hit on a lot of great points. Now it's time for the final verdict and to grade the team out. So offense, defense, special teams, and coaching, what do you got? I don't know how fair it is to really blame Max Brown for the fumble because, again, he was thrown into a very difficult situation. It did happen. It was bad. You, you can't like, ignore that. But, I mean, aside from that, you got to give the offense an A, but with that happening, I'll, I'll ding it down to a B plus. They did everything they could have done to win the game. I, I And, you know, the last possession you could have maybe said be more aggressive, but that's more coaching. I do see both sides to that. I'll get into that in a minute, actually, because that's that's coaching, not offense. But, um, yeah, offense gets a B plus. They did a plenty to win the game. Defense. I'm going to repeat the grade from LSU. You you disrespected the university's tradition of great defenses. Again, from 2005 to 2016, Florida had a top 10 defense in all but one year. You had 11 of 12 years where Florida has a top 10 defense ranked nationally. And again, I'll go back to the shaping comment. Just because it's ever so slightly less terrible than it was the week before, which was historically terrible, doesn't mean it's good. 
the fourth and 17 is going to live on in infamy. That play is an embarrassment to guys like Brandon Spikes who are on that sideline. Guys like an Ahmad Black. Guys like Janoris Jenkins, a Kiwan Ratliff who's now at FSU. Um, you know, DBU. You, or you have a case for LBU even with guys like Spikes um, and even like a John Bostic or, a, or a Antonio Morrison even. Like it's disrespectful to that level player. David Reese probably just writhing in discomfort watching that happen disrespectful you get a zero um special teams smack did his job um crawshaw i thought did okay i I would have liked a couple of his punts to maybe been placed a little better but i mean the defense didn't give up any fake punt plays they didn't get a kick blocked or anything like that so i'll say that defense the special teams gets a b minus Coaching, I'll I'll give it, I'll give the coaching an F, but not like, not that F. It's the kind of F that like, you know, a couple things here, there, go your way. You can maybe flip it and maybe you can like go to the professor and get some extra credit and get it turned like into a D and just so you can get the pass. Um, But all right. I, I didn't agree with the end of game scenario where you just run three straight plays up the middle. I would have liked to have tried to go for a touchdown. I know you have your backup quarterback in. I understand that it's not the most conducive situation to being aggressive, just because if you fail, it's it's very bad. But because nobody expects it, that includes Missouri doesn't expect it. And that means you actually have a chance to catch them napping and score a touchdown because they're all expecting you to be conservative too. So you can take advantage of that. You can turn that into your advantage and use that to score a quick touchdown. Like the play, for example, the ETN touchdown, right? The the second to last one where he just gets past on his scrimmage and he goes untouched the last 10 yards. Missouri was caught napping. There was no linebacker. There was no defensive back even in the same continent as him. Because he made a guy miss and because he bypassed line of scrimmage, Missouri's defense was caught asleep and he scored. So that's where I go, Napier, you know, you're five and five. Your team just isn't good. You got to be aggressive. It's the kind of situation where if you're down seven and you score a touchdown in the last minute, you might want to go for two and end the game. It's the same kind of thing, like where the odds are kind of stacked against you but you've gotten enough things to go your way that you can say you know what i'm feeling it let's maybe take a chance and go for it if florida's eight and two if florida's nine and one i may be saying something different but then again this might not even have been a close game if florida was that good so i digress i I see both sides to that i'm not going to dig him too much for that the end of first half was awful and that again is not a surprise. We've seen Napier mess up a variety of scenarios like that with timing, um, with timeouts, with some of his play calls. We've seen him do enough of that that it's not even surprising. But, you know, it did happen again. So in this context of this game, um, F for that. Overall, i give him like a, like a 55 out of 100 defense. Found a way to lose the game. Um, the offense played well enough to win, but the defense found a way to make sure that they didn't. Can I, let me ask you one thing. Wh- which game did the team play better in Arkansas or Missouri? Missouri's a better team and Missouri's Sign- on the road. Significantly. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you got to say Missouri, but I, I mean, again, if, if Florida plays, another quarter against Arkansas if like if the game is 75 minutes and not 60 I'm I'm more certain that Florida wins that game if Florida plays another quarter against Missouri I'm more certain that Missouri wins that game but like like with the way the first 60 minutes had gone yeah if that makes sense fair enough you know it does all right so my grades for Florida offense I'm gonna give a b plus as well I think the turnovers, the two turnovers certainly hurt Florida, especially the one with the fumble exchange in that situation. That's 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 in large part to the fact that Brown hadn't been really handing the ball off to those guys a whole lot. He doesn't do it a lot in practice because he's not with the ones. 
and he's thrust into a game like that, there's going to be a difference between his touch versus Mertz's. And actually, on the last play where that forced ETN to the corner to the edge, that forced him out of bounds, it was another almost bad handoff where he had to stretch even more. So I think that, you know, those little moments right there by the offense really overshadowed a 500-yard performance, which if they had won this game, I probably would have given them an A. So, but for that reason, they get a B plus defense. They get another F a failure when your offense does this 500 yard performance. And then once again, you let them down with another 500 yard performance. You know, you're failing this team. You're literally failing this team. You are the reason why Florida is losing games right now. It's not the offense. It is the defense. And for that, you know, we're going to continue to fail you until you prove us otherwise special teams. I'll give a B they were solid in the punting game. I mean, Crawshaw averaged almost 45 yards a punt. He put one inside the 20. He even had a 55-yarder that flipped the field. Trey Smack, once again, perfect. He would have had the game-winning field goal had the defense made the stop on fourth and 17. The one thing that I'll ding them on this year, this week, and they once again, kudos. No plays with not enough men on the field. Once again, that's two weeks in a row. So we got a little bit of a trend now. Hopefully that continues when we hire a special teams coach. The punts. And I know the punts from Missouri were very easy to or not easy to field, but it killed us in some field position moments, especially when we did get the stop on defense and we had to then go 80 plus yards for a touchdown where we were just kind of letting it bounce around. I would have loved to have seen Ricky maybe try to field one and and then get a couple yards back from that because that really hurt Florida in those situations that put two inside the 20 where Florida had to go to length of field. And that's where a lot of those procedural penalties occurred limited our margin for error. So special teams could have done a little bit better, I think, in the punt return game. So that's why they get a B for me on that one. Coaching, I'm not going to give it a complete – I'm not going to fail them. Uh, I think they probably get a C here. It's a split grade. I think they had a solid game plan for the offense. And, you know, there were moments where the defense did what they were supposed to do, like Austin Armstrong put them in positions to make plays – uh, but I'm going to ding Napier for those the end of half situation and the end of game situation. I think he needs to be more aggressive. I'd like to see him be more aggressive. And because he wasn't, I think it cost Florida the game. Another reason why Florida lost. So coaching, not an F like it was against LSU, but not enough to win the game. It's pretty average coaching. And right now I think Florida kind of has average coaching. So a C reflects that overall, I would give the team a C plus grade. I think that they played good enough to win. They just didn't make the play at the very, very end. You're passing and them for this game. What's that? You're passing them, giving them a I'm, passing I, grade. I am going to pass them I because, look, you know, listen, the offense put Florida in a position to win. They didn't fold. Like, when we went down by nine, go through Twitter. Like, everybody's like, that's game. And then, I, I mean, I put out a tweet that said, hey, chin up, next drive. You know, and, that, and that's kind of like one of my little, like, I'll, maybe I'll go on a soapbox, like, I am so glad that I don't work with some of you people in the, in the real world because you guys fold like lawn chairs. Like just because the game was down by nine, it was not over. And I even we, said that too. Uh, you I, did. I, and, and like, I mean, we're friends. So like I, I've got to grow accustomed to the way you view things. And I know I'm a, I come off as a very passionate, positive guy by and large, but it was like, come on. Like, I am so glad that you aren't the people in that locker room because that team did not quit in that moment. They didn't quit against South Carolina. They didn't quit against LSU. They didn't quit uh, against Arkansas when they were down 14 0 and they didn't quit down nine with nine minutes to go against Missouri. So look, Florida has a chance to win next Saturday in the swamp. We'll talk about it in our next show. They do. They had a chance to win this game. I predicted Florida to win this game by three points. They almost freaking did it. And I was ready to come on here and gloat about the fact that I was the only one that called Florida to win the game. So I'm frustrated almost by that point because we were this freaking close. We were this but close. Again, so yeah, I know, but I back know. to my but back to my team grade. I'm not failing them because I don't think they it was a failing effort. They played a solid, they played a good enough game to win. They just didn't make the play at the end when it mattered. So. My frustration is not that Florida didn't fight. I mean, the, the defense did not fight. I don't, I don't know how else you want to look. I mean, you give it 508 yards. 
that's that's still terrible. I don't I don't want to hear that it well at least it's not seven hundred. I just have no interest in that. That cuts no ice with me. That's still awful. Um, the defense was was just pitiful. But the team fought as a whole. The team didn't quit. My frustration is not that the team quit. It's that the team snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, flipping that old adage. The team had the game all but one, but you go out and you try your hardest and you find a new way to lose a game. Fourth and 17 is a, is a very inventive way to, to screw up a, a surefire win. Like the win percentage for Florida – uh, or the win probability for Florida was 99.9 on that fourth and 17. That is the highest it can possibly be because it obviously can't be a hundred because that means it's mathematically impossible, which, you know, obviously it's not. So when you have a 99.9% win probability and you lose the game, that cements your legacy as a team that finds ways to lose. That's my frustration. Not that Florida didn't fight, right? Not that Florida quit but that Florida will make sure that it loses a game in some way, in some fashion, at some point in the game, they will ensure the other team has more points than they do. Yep. Well, I think that about does it for this show. We want to thank everybody once again for tuning in to another episode of In All Kinds Weather Forecast. If you have not already and you are watching on YouTube, please help us out. Hit that subscribe and like button down below. Leave a comment about your thoughts of the Missouri game and what the Gators got to do to beat Florida State. So, And if you're listening on audio form, please rate and review the show. All of this helps us bring you better content to all of Gator Nation. So from all of us here at the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast, have a great start to your week, and go Gators. <laughs> <laughs>